0: Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud podcast, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true stories. I'm Patricia, one of your hosts today.
1: And I'm Anita, one of the founding members of Life Out Loud. I've been away for a while, but I'm back now to hear everybody's stories again. And I'm
2: Karen, back again and excited for the second episode of the third season entitled Home is Where.
3: And I'm Selena. In this episode, three authors look at the interactions that take place in an area they spend most of their time, home. Looking at who defines or intrudes, their spaces proved to be an interesting series of journeys. Our first piece of the night is by new author, Masael. Masayel Alfonso is a 21-year-old recent
2: John Jay graduate. Born and raised in Washington Heights, Masael knew early on that her passion for writing poetry was more than just a form of escaping emotional situations. She discovered her creative talent around the age of 12. Ever since, she's been writing poems and short stories, which she shares with friends and families on her blog. She hopes to one day write her own poetry
3: book, one through which she'll share with the world what her view from this roller coaster looks like. Let's take a listen to Marcel's piece, Apartment 32. Growing
4: up in a Dominican neighborhood means your neighbors blast bachata music anytime, any day. The taxi drivers stand double parked in all the wrong places and the men, their eyes, walk you to your destination and back. But the one thing I'll never Forget about growing older in the streets of Dykeman is the man from apartment 32. The man from apartment 32 is blind. He lost his eyesight seven months back. He never explained how, just showed up one day at my apartment claiming he wasn't able to see anymore. The man from apartment 32 always asks for ingredients to prepare his favorite meals. First it was sugar, then salt, one day adobo, the next garlic. You name it, he asked for it. I always wondered, how can a blind man not know where to place his keys, but know what ingredients he was missing? One day, I couldn't hold back, so I just asked him. He just responded, you don't need eyes when you have a nose to smell. I hated when the man from apartment 32 was right. The man from Apartment 32 always invites himself to my family events. One time he even showed up at the same beach we went to back in July 2012. He brought his own grill and sunscreen. He sat right under the skinny tree that still provided lots of shade. No one knew how he got there or how he even knew we always went there every 4th of July. But he was there all right. He was the first one to stand up when the food was ready. And the first to pack up when we all chipped in money. The man from apartment 32 also shows up to our Thanksgiving dinners now. The first day he came, I banged on our own door to get back in because the music was too loud inside. He must have heard me knocking. Ten minutes after my mother opened the door wearing a glittery red dress that showed her curves, he invited himself in and grabbed a chair next to my uncle. He made a negative comment about the music, to which my uncle told him, I'm the DJ. Oh, the man from Apartment 32 had said. Well, you have bad taste in music. The man from Apartment 32 is insecure about his weight. I can tell by the way his shirt dances around his wide body. He wears t-shirts two times his size to hide the beer belly underneath. Eventually, they grew tired, though, and began to hug him in a way that let you see what he didn't want you to. Let you see what you didn't want to. He always wears basketball shorts, a white or black v-neck, and Nike flip-flops that aren't his size. I can tell they're too small because his toes are always kissing the ground when he walks. They all hug against each other, trying not to fall off the sides. The man from Apartment 32 carries a silicon cup that always smells like rum and Red Bull. He carries it like a mother carries an infant. The man from Apartment 32 owns an iPhone 4. I know this because he makes me enter contacts' names and call co-workers for him. One time, he sat in my living room speaking to a girl named Jennifer. I know her name because he mentioned it in a way as if he wanted us to know she was a girl. Wanted us to know he has a lover. The man from Apartment 32 married a woman in the Dominican Republic after his two-month vacation there. I know this because he introduced her to us when he got back. Not only did he introduce her, but she also brought her daughter, his new stepdaughter. She sat at my dinner table and picked her nose. She placed her boogers neatly on her shirt and compared their sizes. I wonder if she missed home. The man from Apartment 32 plays the maracas every night before bed. He smokes cigarettes, and he still loves the girl named Jennifer, the girl who is not his wife. He tightens his lips when he's drunk. The man from apartment 32 doesn't work Saturdays. I know this because he spends his entire day smoking. The smell visits my room in the mornings and puts me to sleep at night. I pretend like it isn't there, and when it gets tired of me ignoring it, It wakes me. That smell. The smell of the man from apartment 32. One night, though, the man from apartment 32 showed up at my door differently than usual. He carried no silicon cup and was dressed in light jeans and a t-shirt. He didn't wear his usual sandals. He didn't invite himself in. Instead, He waited outside patiently until I reached for the door. I didn't smell cigarettes that day. And come to think of it, I never heard the maracas that day either. That day, he showed up wearing a wedding ring and holding up a goldfish. Said he bought Tony here because he couldn't deal with the loneliness.
3: Oh this my piece gosh. so much yeah it's oh really cool gosh. it's so For such a like
2: short piece too it's it's really impactful
4: thank you <laughs> You're welcome.
3: So I'm really interested in what the writing process was like for you while you're writing this piece, because throughout it, you repeat the line, the man from apartment 32. And it's really mysterious. And it leaves me constantly wanting to know more about him. And then as the piece unravels, we get to. So I was just wondering, like when you started this piece, did you describe or think about describing the character any other way? um i described him exactly how he is so
4: like really annoying (laughs) so it it wasn't really hard for me to write this piece um like while i was writing this piece i would tell everyone in my family like guess who this is and i wouldn't (laughs) say anything and they would all know they're like oh my god that is the guy that lives next door. To so, like, <laughs> I didn't have to say anything else. Like, I'll just read a random sentences and they'll know like, exactly <laughs> the i like, oh, yeah. about. So. He's that guy. <laughs> it wasn't, like, really hard for me. Like, I just thought about it. And I was like, okay, let's just write about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Cool.
2: And in the piece you say, The man from Apartment 32 always invites himself to my family's events. One time he even showed up at the same beach... <laughs> at the same beach we went back to in july 2012 you go on a little further and then you say no one knew how we got there or how he knew we always went there every fourth of july but he was there all right you always say the man from apartment 32 always shows up to your thanksgiving dinners so did it bother you that he was always around or did you kind of enjoy it was he like just like a missing piece like a kind of house plant that you miss when it dies or something
4: <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> like i sound so mean saying this but i was so annoyed that he was always there the it, would, it would be like yeah. so random like he would unlock my door so that he can come in like you know <laughs> oh. like if he went home to get something like let's say we were talking about something and he wanted to show it to you like he'll go himself unlock my door go to his house get what he was gonna get and then come back and I'm just oh like, my who gives this guy permission? But I guess, like, everyone felt bad. Mm-hmm. Like Everyone felt bad that they didn't want to say anything. But they would be like, mm-hmm. like, everyone would look at each other like, how mm-hmm. the hell? Like, how did we let <laughs> did it get this, get this far? Rage? Exactly. Like, how did we let this? And it's been, like, since forever. Thank oh God he doesn't God. do it now. <laughs> 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 because he's barely there. And he oh probably gosh. doesn't hear us as much. Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. it would just be, like, so random. Like, everyone could be hanging out. And he
3: just like, hey! I'm like, <laughs> what? Did he have how did like, you... his own set of keys or something?
4: <laughs> he didn't. He didn't use keys because, like, I don't know. He would always get in. Like, <laughs> 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 he, would, he would like, damn. We really thought we locked it that time. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> like, like, are you guys
0: sure he doesn't have his own personal copy? Right? Like, like
2: stole in the middle of the night. Something. He molds <laughs> the key. <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> yeah. Like, no one know. No one knew how he That's got there. So I just strange. knew like, oh, he's here. Like. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And you guys never tried to change your locks?
4: <laughs> That's the thing. Like, we never we never took it, like, as a creepy thing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this guy is coming into our house. Mm-hmm. It was more like, I don't know, like, neighbor trying to be friendly mm-hmm. and, like, neighbor yeah. with neighbor and, like, neighbors should be there for each other mm-hmm. kind of thing.
2: Do you feel like you ever maybe, like, learned something from him? Or, like, do you feel like you got something out of all of those, like, strange interactions at all? Or your family? No. Well,
4: it's okay if you did. It. I was just wondering. I'm like, what is I mean, the universe
2: trying to tell you? I know, right? Yeah. Like,
4: <laughs> um, I didn't. I don't think I. I mean, I gained friendship for like mm. the person he was with before. Like all of this happened, she was like my best friend. So like mm. his stepdaughter was like my best friend. Mm-hmm. So I gained like that friendship with her, but with him, like directly, no. Like I mm. couldn't. I didn't stand. I couldn't stand him. So I was mm-hmm. just like, I don't even want to be around this guy.
0: But it seems like along the way, you really develop this loving relationship with him. Maybe not, like,
4: yeah, straight up love, love but,
0: yeah. like, some sort of compassion, understanding, and care for him.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I, I kind of felt like it was, um, like, the feeling of knowing that he was by himself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you're like, wow, like, we have our family in this yeah. apartment. Like, everyone's here. My mom, my dad, my siblings. And then if you look at it like in from his shoes, it's just like it's just him and he's Mm. blind. So he's kind of really dependent on people around him. So it wasn't like like I grew love for him because now I see him and I'm like, hey, (laughs) but it was mostly like we kind of have to be here for you because we wouldn't know who else would, you know. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like that feeling. Yeah
0: that's beautiful yeah that's interesting <laughs> okay. i'm not sure if you already touched on this but is there anything else you want readers to take away from this
4: i mean when i wrote this piece i didn't really have in my mind like hey i want to portray this message um i just kind of wrote this piece so people would know like what my day-to-day life <laughs> was like mm-hmm. so just like a little glam glimpse of like people around us like we never really know what they're going through and he was my neighbor like and he was always in my house Mm -hmm. so like it's just crazy how like he was always there but then he was never really there you know Mm -hmm. like I didn't really know what was going on like everything that I saw maybe it didn't go down that way but that's how I saw it so I just connected it you know Mm -hmm. like maybe didn't just randomly date this woman I'm like hey you just got back from vacation and you're married like come on now (laughs) So I would like put those things together, but no one really knows like yeah. what goes down in, in his apartment. So Wow. Yeah. So um, like the kind of message I wanted to get out or like, I feel like people get from, <clears throat> I'm sorry, yeah. from meeting this is kind of like everyone goes through different phases in their life and deals with things very differently. Mm-hmm. So like, maybe if he wasn't purposely trying to annoy us or, like, get in our business all the time, maybe he was just, like, crying for help, like, hey, I'm lonely or something. Mm-hmm. But we were just like, okay, that's a really different way mm-hmm. of dealing with situations. So I feel like we know we never know what anyone is going through. Like, even if they tell you, like, hey, um, I bought this fish because I'm alone, you know? <laughs> but I, and then you're just like... Okay, like you don't really feel that, mm-hmm. you know? Like I can say it, but you don't know what it feels like to go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think um it's really important that neighbors are other neighbors. Oh, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's really nice
4: thank he, you he mad annoying.
2: because <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like it's interesting because throughout it we see all of the sides of that like we see the like oh my goodness this man is still in my house wake up in my house go to sleep in my house but you know you you see that like he might just need people
0: mm, yeah. that's cool yeah so i felt for him even though mm. i was just like Me too, please go back bit. home Me yeah <laughs>
2: If that was, oh, no, I would not allow that in my house. If someone ever oh. came <laughs> into my house, like, I would be like, Mm-mm, maybe we can schedule. Oh, so <laughs> maybe we can go to your house.
3: <laughs> the library. On that note, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, thank you. Come back sometime. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're, thank you. Mm.
1: So our next piece of the night is by returning and loved author here at Life Out Loud, Stephen De La Cruz.
3: Content warning for mention of disturbing topics. Stephen De La Cruz is a New York City native. He's currently an English major at John Jay and works with an integrated co-teaching classroom in an elementary school in Queens. It was here that he realized he wants to be a teacher. He hopes to travel in the future and learn local legends, myths, and more from the places he hopes to visit. When he isn't writing or cramming for an exam, you'll find him buried in a book, possibly rereading his favorite novel, Catch-22. If he's not spending time with friends and family, he's saving some town or city with friends in their weekly Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Let's take a listen to Stephen's piece entitled The Amity.
5: My Aunt Mary lived in a pink two-family house with a garage full of roosters. For as long as I can remember, almost every Saturday from the age of 6 to 13, I'd visit The Amedis house near Roosevelt Avenue and 108th Street with my mom, dad, and younger sister, Natalie. Medi's husband, Tio King, owned the house. On the top floor lived his brother's mistress. And on the first floor, the Ameri and Tio King lived with their two sons, Mario and David. Various people moved in and out of the basement except for one tenant, Victor, my dad's drug-addicted brother. As the taxi would pull up to the front of the Meri's house, I'd look out the window and scan the dirty beige stoop. Normally, in the summer, if my older cousins or my half-brother were around, they'd be found on that stoop watching the world pass them by. Sometimes Mario, David, or their friends would stop by and they'd sit there and talk to us, the younger kids. Upon entering the front door of the house, there was a small hallway with a door to your immediate left. It was a small one bedroom apartment where my friend Freddy had originally lived until he moved back to DR. Lots of people had lived there over the years after Freddie left, Joyce, Tony, Christine, and others whose name I can no longer recall. After Freddie's door, there was a staircase to the right that led up to Mita's apartment. Mita was Steel Hucking's brother's mistress. My mom would go up there and sit with the woman, and they'd drink coffee two or even three times a day. They'd reminisce about growing up in the Dominican Republic, and they'd gossip about people they used to know. Mita's apartment had two windows that overlooked the backyard. From that spot, my mom kept a watchful eye on my sister and I. The living room was a large rectangular room with wood paneling on the walls and had two large sofas, one of which doubled as a sofa bed. The other two walls were covered with shelves, a portrait, and various family photos. In the corner of the room opposite the television was Steel Hawking's dirty red recliner. I later came to associate its smell, tobacco, sweat, and cat with my uncle. He'd sit there smoking his pipe or he'd have a wad of chewing tobacco in his mouth while he watched sports with a constant disapproving look regardless of whether his team was winning or losing. It was the same look my father would give to me when he thought I was capable of doing better. Sometimes, DOJ's cat, Mimi, would wander into the living room, and he'd stick his hand out and rub his fingers while saying, Mishu, Mishu, and it would saunter over and leap onto his lap. The Joaquin had many cats over the years. They were all street cats, and they were all called Mimi. What I loved most, though, was hanging out in David and Mario's room, even with the smell that greeted you in there, too. I'd later learned that that smell was weed, but also a mix of gym socks and, again, cat. I would invite myself in as I got older. The floor was streaked with grime and an even blacker gum that fused to the floor as Tia Medi had long given up on cleaning their room, just like, I guess, she'd given up on her brother-in-law's mistress living in their house, too. David and Mario's room was littered with stained t-shirts, and on multiple occasions, one of the memes would leap out of the random pile of clothes and startle everyone. David was the younger of the brothers. He used to be heavy when he was a kid and always spoke wistfully about his weight. Excess skin from his childhood hung around his newly formed six pack and it never went away, even with all the work he'd put into getting rid of it. David was a firm believer of not giving up and pushing yourself, or so he always told us younger kids. He showed us our first Bruce Lee movies, and was a huge fan of John claude Van Damme. He performed wrestling moves he learned in high school on My Cousins and I, he even taught us a few basic martial arts moves to defend ourselves. I spent most of my time on Saturdays in that room. David and Mario never seemed to mind. My dad stayed in the garage with Theo King and some other guys who seemed to live there too. The garage was a dubious place that saw lots of domino games, card games, and the occasional cockfight. The kids weren't usually allowed in there for very long. One side of the garage was full of rooster cages, which Steelwalking had personally made from plywood, hinges, and strips of metal fence. Power tools were kept opposite of the cages, and David's punching bag hung from the rafter in the far end of the room. The punching bag was once black, but had become a dusty gray color over the years. It reminded me of my teachers, Miss Gradshaw's black sweatpants, where she wiped her chalk-covered hands on her butt. In one corner of the room near David's punching bag, dried blood dotted the carpet and the smell of poultry and hay hung heavy. Dio seemed to love those roosters, even had names for them. I couldn't understand how he could sit by and watch them kick, scratch, and peck one another, why he didn't stop them as a dark blood streamed from an eye, when their wings were matted with their own blood, or when the loser gurgled softly with its throat slashed. One winter, when I'm seven, I enter the garage to ask my dad for some money to buy pizza. I take one look at him and can tell he's losing. His hands sit inside of his black leather jacket, and he isn't saying much. He always talked more when he was winning. He'd go on to tell various anecdotes about his past, and they were always funny, even if you'd heard them before. I stand next to him and watch him play while I gather the courage to ask him for money. My first request is drowned out by the racket of dominoes being shuffled by one of my uncles. I was never good at speaking up, but this was just unlucky timing. My dad looks at his hands then finally acknowledges me and tells me to grab a chair and sit next to him. Kids never sit at the gambling table. I drag the heavy metal chair against the concrete floor. Don't drag it, he says to me through gritted teeth as he returns his focus to the game. I sit there silently, with no courage to ask him for money after the chair incident. But then, he wins the game and slides me five bucks. I get up to leave, but he says, No, stay. You're bringing me good luck. So, I sit back down and he pats me on the head and then he wins the next three games. And after each win, he slides you some cash, sometimes even three or five dollars. Eventually though, he loses two games in a row and says gruffly, go, you're ruining my hands. But he hands me another five dollars before I go. Of course, I run off to flaunt my money to all the other kids in the house. Now I have money for pizza with David. Before I was old enough to go by myself, David would take me for pizza. <sighs> We're all grown up now, and Tia Meri's new house is kind of empty these days. Mario now has three kids, two of which may not be his, with the woman that Tia Meri says is a lying slut. And David? He joined the military a year after Tio Joaquin died in a car crash, and after Tia Meri brought her new boyfriend, Estrella, to live in the house with them. David was discharged from the military, though. When I saw him last, he'd become paunchy, and his eyes would feverishly dart across the room, on lookout for something. I went on to find out that David was diagnosed with schizophrenia while he was on duty, and was discharged for fighting when not on his meds. One fall morning, David stopped taking them again for a few days, and then he jumped into an oncoming 7 train. All the people I'd see at the pink two-family house are at the funeral. We hug and say we're sorry that day. We talk about how much everyone has changed in a span of seven years. We reminisce about David and Theo J. But then we all go home to our own houses. <sighs> I think about our Saturdays at that pink house a lot. Think about what it used to be like. And I wonder... If anyone else misses those days, misses that house, like I do.
2: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Okay, so, Steven, you've been on the podcast, I think this is your third time.
5: Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, woo! Woo!
2: Okay. Oh, okay.
5: Three times charm, baby? <laughs> three,
2: three times, and it's like, but it, it's like every single time, it's like these, like, um, it's just like a banger. <laughs> Like, there's no other way to, like, actually say that, because it's, like, like, I know that Madraza uses, like, the stories, like, in the syllabus for CNF, and as examples, Mm -hmm. and like, people at travelogs and stuff, permission (laughs) or not, you just, you accept, you accept. And at travelogs, like, people know you as that, like, people know you, like, by these stories, and this one is kind of, like, no exception, because they're, like, all just, like, really Mm. great in their own super Mm. unique ways, and in these, like, you find i don't know you find a way of just like making family such yeah. a not boring focal point <laughs> and not sad focal point like, like i don't know i'm I'm rambling at, at a point now um' I'll workshop you later but, <laughs> 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 but um yeah, thank you for being here for the...
5: thank you for uh having me on again mm-hmm, for the eighth time <laughs> and and uh thank you for you know reading the story and, and uh enjoying it.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> With that said, <laughs> yeah, so what inspired you to create such a detailed image of this family, of this house that isn't yours?
5: Um. Well, I can't remember what the uh, assignment exactly was, but we were supposed to write, uh, like, uh, it was my first micro essay, and um, I was there thinking about it in Mitrazo's class and then went home, thought about it some more, and I, I started thinking about, like, you know, my childhood, and when I think of my childhood, I've always thought about uh, my aunt's home, because that's where all my cousins were. That's where I went every Saturday. I was there all day, and really, it's the only place, like, I felt that I was actually kind of like a kid, because my mom was, like, very strict growing up, and she, when we were growing up, so she did not let us out (laughs) of the house. It was really only there that I had, like, total freedom. And um, so uh like why that family is like i mean they're my family too but uh and also it was like you know it was another to me it was another home um so like when everyone moved away from there uh, it was i don't know it, it really i felt like i had lost a home as well it was really uh it yeah, really sucked <laughs> i was growing up
3: my heart no but i can actually like feel like what you're just saying because like i was the same way of my on my dad's side like all of my aunts and uncles and cousins always at his house and then yeah. like everybody just kind of dispersed and that was like the place to be and then it's like we didn't go there anymore yeah because like,
5: everyone everyone there <laughs> all of like from a, all my family from my dad's side they were there mm-hmm. almost every saturday
3: Mm -hmm. same my
0: grandma's house i mean she wasn't even my grandma she was just a babysitter she's like call me grandma so like so like her grandchildren like we were like yeah they're my cousins everywhere we went but she passed away it's like it's not the same
2: oh i feel that for me it's church (laughs) 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 strangely enough because church was where i grew up with brothers so my church was where i had like my friends who were also like like girls feminine people and that's where like i had that and now that I'm like not going to church as much, I'm like, hmm, the toys. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I relate to that in a way too. So you you describe like now you're just you're saying it out of like such like obvious like love and admiration for like what that house meant to you. But you in it you even like mentioned the ugly parts. So you mentioned the cockfighting, the mistress, the drug addiction, and the eventual deaths. What was the process like? portraying these things and remembering your family as imperfect so like why what was the process like making that decision
5: um i mean i just i wanted to tell the truth um it because um and i and i felt that that those those small things like were they they were like very um I know, they they left a very like a significant like in, uh image at least in in my head and um you know they they stood out a lot and they and you know in their own way they were sort of beautiful and they um they added they added flavor to all of them and that's why i mean then they're, they're people and you know uh ever no one's perfect um and i mean you know still love them anyway
0: <laughs> yeah that's family
2: yeah mm-hmm. for sure because, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, you never paint anyone as just black and white, which is what's, what's, <laughs> in, like, necessary, because we don't view people as black and white a lot no. of the time, either.
5: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, that's what I strive to, I mean, do, um, just, like, try and be as accurate as possible for at my, like, the people I care about, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's really easy for them, like, other people, it's harder to, you know, to find those things that... I think are essential in, uh, bringing, um, I mean, something or someone to life, uh, and, you know, uh, being able to at least love them, uh, even if, you know, you hate one side of them.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And like, with that being said, I feel like, I don't know if you touched on this a little bit or not, but what would you like readers to take away from this piece?
5: Um, I, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> That's okay, too. It, um, I wrote this, um, and I, I didn't have uh, anything in mind at first. Um, I, I I mean, I had some guilt um, after my cousin died because I wasn't... Um, after he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and I met him, um, I, I really pushed him away in my life, and I know a few of my other cousins did. And... Um, I know I feel guilty about it. Uh my brother was really the only one who went there and actually like, talked to him and uh hung out with him a lot. So um yeah, I guess I, I've always felt a little guilty about that and I've always um I don't know, I, I just missed that place. I miss uh like it was a big part of my childhood and that was really it. <laughs>
3: Well, thank you so much for sharing. It was a really beautiful story. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Our last story is by Markenzia Jean. Markenzia Jean is a
2: graduate of John Jay College of Criminal Justice with a Bachelor's of Arts degree in English. When not writing literary nonfiction, she is thinking about it and asking people to share their stories with her. A proud Haitian native, Markensia likes to explore Haiti's glorious and tinted past. Markenzia is a student of life's mysterious and complex narrative and is embracing her journey to adulthood. Thank you,
1: Karen. Let's take a listen to Markensia's piece entitled Union Street.
6: We've had four supers in our 13 years on Union Street. There sits our little downtown Brooklyn apartment building. The first was of African descent, perhaps from the Caribbean. He was tall, skinny, and dark-skinned. He kept his hair cut low, nearly bald. From my window, I once saw a small group of people sitting down on folding chairs against a building with him. They apparently went to the West Indian Day Parade. They were mostly women who wore bright purple and yellow costumes and had the brown of their legs and arms bare. They probably walked in the parade. They sat, ate, and listened to music where the supers were supposed to place the trash. He allowed them down there. He liked the company, I guess. The spot was cleared one evening. He is deceased. A Trinidadian woman who has lived in apartment 1E for 17 years now and who has resided in downtown Brooklyn for forty-five, says that the building was more beautiful when the older manager cared to have it maintained. Miss Abby greets her neighbors with smiles, hugs, and kisses in a way that seems both inviting and nosy. She told me that the black super was not too skinny and that he died on his wife's birthday at 4 or 5 in the morning. He was found locked in the basement flat on the ground after police knocked the door down. His autopsy revealed that he died from a heart attack, she said. She also said that he had high blood pressure and left behind a wife and kids along with a young mistress who lived upstairs. His wife did not have keys to the apartment, and so she banged on the door to only find it empty. Part 2 The second super was of Eastern European descent, maybe Polish. He was probably in his late 50s or mid-60s. He had soft and thin white hair and a medium bald spot in the middle of his head. He had a full face and a large belly. He went to church with his wife on Sundays. And sometimes he went to pick up his grandson, who was about four or five, at an elementary school about a block away. He always wore iron clothes, his shirt tucked neatly into his pants. In those days, the hallways were always dusted and mopped. You had to greet him, and never the other way around, because he only saw his work, not the people coming toward him. He'd always seem surprised when I greeted him, like he was shocked to realize he wasn't alone. Once, when I went downstairs to ask him to fix, I don't remember exactly, or perhaps to give him the rent money, there was a white envelope in my hand. His wife opened the door and a cool breeze greeted me. Their living room was right there and everything was in its place. I made it not my business to let my eyes run loose. The floor was spotless. When he went on vacation, though, Months later, he did not return. I was told that he fell and died the first or second day of his vacation. When my mother saw his wife and asked her about the super, she said, He's coming. He's coming. There are 11 pictures of him on my laptop taken on July 10, 2013. In five of the images, the super is in Andre. The primary tenant's bedroom with a stepladder in the process of painting his walls. In the other six pictures, the super is in the process of climbing out onto the fire escape in Mark's room. In these pictures, he expresses no fear about the fact that he's stories from the ground. He probably has done this too many times to even think about it. The sun seems to be his only distraction. Though his thick white eyebrows provide temporary shade, his face is smoothly shaved. He's wearing a short-sleeved gray cotton shirt tucked into his black belted long green cargo camel pants. He's wearing brown boots which appear aged by dust and paint. His thin fading hair is brushed over. When I talked to Miss Abby about the second super, she said that of course management notified her. She said that the second super fell inside his retirement home and died from a heart attack. Part 3 our third super had multiple heart attacks prior to working with us, which we did not know before. He had a good sense of humor, along with a strong Spanish accent, always finding a reason to giggle, probably to hide his nervousness. I remember those obvious dentures. They were not too big, but it always seemed that somehow there were way too many teeth in his mouth, way too close together. He had a belly, too and would wear plaid shirts tucked into his blue jeans. His son helped him with his daily tasks. He was plump and had short, thick black curls compared to his father's thin, straight, flat, short haircut. He was slightly hunched over. Whenever we asked him to come over to our apartment, he came up like a frightened yet dutiful messenger boy, his arms straight down, his head raised up high, his eyes reaching ours but pulling themselves back to the ground every few seconds. Andre towered over him, pouring down his broken English and between uh -uh uh-uh-ums. One day, he came upstairs to our apartment to tell us that the doctors and management did not want him to work anymore. They were concerned about his heart. Miss Abby says that the third super was weak, so she would try to help by sweeping and mopping the floor. Part 4 our fourth super is fluent in English and Spanish and does not look older than 30. He has a long rectangular face, a thin, linear mustache, and sometimes wears squared framed glasses. He usually wears navy blue shirts, hoodies and pants, and navy blue baseball caps, which he often wears backwards. I have never seen his wide open smile. When he speaks, he tightens his lips, I think, to hide his chipped He feasts on cigarettes and alcohol and entertains the neighborhood kids all day. They speak the same way, cussing and swearing, though I hear him sometimes remind them to go to school and to do their homework. Meanwhile, dust is collecting and the paint on the steps and rails are chipping off. Mostly now, the building is a cigarette bar, especially his apartment. Once, we asked him if he could replace our refrigerator. He came upstairs to our apartment tapped one hand against the back of his opposite hand, and admitted to us, a small Haitian family who has lived there for 13 years, that management said, no. He said they wouldn't serve us, because we're people of color. That's a shame, because the white plastic dividers on the inside of our refrigerator have broken off. The clear round plastic temperature control fell, and we put a plastic bowl to catch the water that often freezes and turns Fresh produce into bendable, wrinkly rubber. He said that the water dripping signals that the temperature is not regulated and that the refrigerator is due to break down entirely. In the meantime, I watched Jewish neighbors get new replacement windows, their evergreen branches picked up by hand and swept off the ground, their windows scrubbed clean, and their grounds hosed down. I wish Cadet was here. I heard a fourth super say while cleaning up the garbage one evening. My mother told Cadet and my little brother to stay away from the super and his smoking. When my mother and Andre expressed their discontent in the super's maintenance of the building, Cadet maintained that the construction workers drilled too deep into the pipelines, resulting in a sewage leak in the building connected to ours. He also asserted that the super was prioritizing that over his other daily functions. I once heard the super down in the tunnels late sometime. Something about flashlights. He uses the N-word sometimes. I've never heard the other supers use it. The neighborhood kids do not seem to have a problem with it, though. They say it too as if in the place of the word boy, man, or their actual names. Most of the neighborhood kids who hang out with the fourth super are teenage boys of African descent. There are two twin boys who are always close by. Mark, my older brother, told me once that the twins beat up the second super. One day as I was going out to run an errand, the super stopped me and explained that he advised Cadet to bundle up, but that he never listened. Tell Cadet I said, ha ha, he instructed. When he saw my mother, he repeated the same thing. He knows all about the water. We've had water leaking in nearly every room in our apartment from some issue above us. Air pockets formed on our cardboard walls covered in old smelly paint. From there, it leaks down to Miss Joseph, a skinny, tight-faced Caribbean woman with a strong accent who lives there. Miss Joseph has called us to court many times, suing us, not management, for the water damage. Ahem! Is the fourth Super's year-round signature cough and it almost sounds like a combination of a cough and a sneeze, but more like a cough and a bit of a clearing of his throat. Almost everyone who works with the super smokes, including my brother, Cadet, who later developed the habit. My mother often says to Cadet, you must want a hole drilled down your throat and to die of cancer. On the day the super visited us about our refrigerator, he said that when the tenants do not have heat, he often does not have heat either. And that he sometimes sleeps at his mother's house and comes back to work in the morning. He also told us that his mother does not like his smoking either. Lately, I've noticed that our fourth super has squeezed into half his normal size. I'm not the only one who's noticed. Miss Abby says that there's only one reason that would happen. Either because he is diabetic or because he has the virus. The one you know about, she maintained. Oh, I thought to myself, HIV AIDS. Last December, the fourth super decorated both buildings with bright and colorful paper Santas and snowmen, and some of them had lights. They were all over the glass windows of the entrances to each building. The last time our fourth super came to our apartment, he said, Listen to me, Andre, sir. One thing I am, I am honest. Don't believe nothing they say. Why do you think the workers take so long to come? Let me tell you something, Mr. Andre. Every time somebody give me a complaint, I write them down here. I keep them, even when they're done. These are the latest. Bathroom exterminator supplies. I keep them. They get done. Once they finish the list, they stay there the whole time. Guess who gets blamed for it? Me. If I can do it, I come. If I can't, I call them. They don't tell you that. They say a lot of shh about me. I get the blame. I don't talk to them anymore. I text them everything, the dates. I'm not the best person in the world, but I'm not going to sit there with a toothbrush. I'll clean it. One day, Cadet left a small notepad at the center of our mother's queen-sized bed. It was covered with stickers of Models, NFL, and New York Jets and New York Giants players from front to back that came from the daily newspaper. Only after close examination did I see a blue-inked doodle of a swastika? At first, it looked only like zigzags. Then, underneath it, there was something that resembled a tent drawn in blue ink. Perhaps it's a concentration camp. I do not know who drew them, the super, my brother. The fourth super no longer works with us. He got fired, probably because of the many complaints Andre made to management. Miss Abby says that there is something strange about the super's apartment, and I agree. When you walk into our little place on Union Street, you see a sign that reads, Warning, this building is protected by a 24-hour surveillance camera. There is a surveillance camera, but I'm not sure whether it even works. And if it does work, who is monitoring it? And why do I not see any on the other three floors? Who is monitoring this place other than me and Miss Abby, I wonder?
3: Oh, my gosh, this piece is so haunting, (laughs) but it's so good. Thank you for being here tonight. Mm Thank, thank you for thank having you.
2: me. Second time too. I like that this piece is like so different from the first one, but it still has that Merkensia vibe. Yeah. It's, it's so like palpable and noticeable.
3: So um reading this story, I was wondering, did anyone not suspect a spooky reason to why all the supers were so weird and always died?
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's so plot. I think me and Miss Abby are the main ones who are <laughs> noticing all of this stuff.
4: So. Mm-hmm.
6: The other people in my building, too. But I think, I don't think that I'm that nosy, but I just, I'm curious, you know? So mm-hmm. I just look and see what's happening and mm-hmm. keep track of it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you like notice the patterns that we're, were happening. It's like to us, it seems so obvious because we're reading mm-hmm. this from your perspective and we're like, Oh, that one's gone too, and that one, and that yeah. one.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting that no one else saw that. Uh, so we only get a glimpse of the other old uh, tenant, Miss Abby, only a few times. And those few times, she's always knowing what's going on with the supers. This makes me wonder, do you have an update on Miss Abby? Do you know any parts of her story? Does she perhaps play a role in the change of the four supers?
6: I don't think she does play a role in the changing of supers, but she has been living there for a while for quite some time and she lives on the first floor and the Mm -hmm. super's apartment is on the first floor so Mm -hmm. she's able to see the in and outs of the super and their daily activities
1: i don't know why but when i was reading i just felt like she had some part in the missing (laughs) (laughs) supers. yeah so how did you
2: go about generally deciding to write about this picking this specific topic is it something that you just like we're like carrying for so long. It's just like
6: everyone needs to know. And all my supers are gone.
2: <laughs> or tell us about that.
6: Um, originally, I did not um, decide on talking about this like that. But I was talking about a lot of different things in my childhood, how I grew up, my neighborhood, um, where I went to school and different things I noticed, you know, things I paid attention to that a lot of people probably didn't pay attention to. So there were a lot of slices of life and vignettes. And things like that and Mm -hmm. actually the professor told me that you probably should work with this instead you have all these different ideas but you might want to focus on this one the ones Mm -hmm. about supers so then i you know i became more nosy and just try to (laughs) remember everything that i that i saw and paid more attention to other things as the days went by and just kept writing Mm
3: Yeah, it's interesting how it, like, all got put together mm-hmm. ended up making
6: a good story. Yeah. yeah. Did any
1: supers go missing after that or stay for, like, a little
6: while only? We have a fifth super right now. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. We have a fifth one. What's he oh like or are they like? Well, he's African-American. I don't... He has... He's of african descent but i do not think he's from the caribbean i think he's a regular african-american guy mm-hmm. but he likes to whistle when he's like <laughs> i love how you just slided that in yeah he likes to whistle yeah <laughs> yeah in the morning <laughs> yeah
2: the way you describe people is so interesting like yeah. very like meticulous mm-hmm. and that's what i like love about them. i can see all of them so clearly mm-hmm. like yeah. you just described him very like just in a few words and Mm -hmm. I can see this whistling man. Right. (laughs) I feel (laughs) like he's my super. Like, I see him. I wish my super was this interesting. Very bland. (laughs) Loves to fix toilets. Really? That's That's weird. weird. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know what it is. He's like, I'm just good at it. Just on a darker note, I noticed that race plays a huge role in your piece. Uh, For example, your family not being served and then the drawing that you found of the Nazi sign in the camp, oh, in the super also using the N-word, did you notice that other families were also being treated unfairly because of their
6: race? From observation, I understand that the building, the two buildings that my super um, worked in, the supers that um, have passed and the ones that are still living, or we have a new one as well, but um, predominantly Black people or people of African descent, Caribbean, are the ones that live there and most of these people are working class people and i also understand that if you want all of these other services you have to pay like higher rent for it and mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. do not have the money to pay higher rent you just have to wait until um whatever you have breaks down completely to get a new one
1: so it's not so. just about race it's also about class then yes interesting yeah, yeah so w-
2: yeah like from from what you noticed was it Since it was like primarily people that are like of Caribbean descent, primarily people that were of African descent, who are the people that you noticed did get these services? Because he's saying specifically it's about color and it's about your your, yeah, where you're from and who you are. But and I'm thinking like, well, wasn't everyone in that apartment kind of of that same level? So so who did you notice that did get
6: these things or here that got these things, if anyone? Well, for the most part, whoever can afford it can. Whoever can afford paying more rent Mm -hmm. can get it. But at the same time, like I talk about my Jewish neighbors as well. And Mm -hmm. it's a tight Jewish community and families. We're close together, and everyone mm-hmm. we're close together. So I just see that they're getting more treatment. Everything seems fine there. Mm. Like you never hear um, loud music. You don't hear any complaints. Nothing is very quiet. But with us, we have to, we have to complain about loud music or whatever else that um, we think should be better. <laughs> that yeah. is not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just just makes me wonder a little bit. Uh. Where was Miss Abby from? Since she seems so good with the supers and everybody else
6: she's from trinidad oh.
1: so it was like a proximity thing i guess yeah because she was
2: like closer physically to them that she was also like got along with them more that's so mm. that's so strange
6: something that um i mentioned in an earlier draft is that the main reason i know her is because she gives my brother cadet cheesecake on his birthday so mm-hmm. she's nice that way, you know, she's very nice. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you feel a little weird because mm. it's she like wants my... to ask you about your life and how's everything going. Yeah, yeah. So nice with intent. You don't want to go into too much detail. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want her to know too much about you. Oh, but see.
2: All right. Well, with that, thank you again for coming, um, for sharing this, this strange story. It feels so like I feel like there's so many different undertones to the story, mm-hmm. but still yeah. feels very unanswered. Mm -hmm. That's so strange.
1: I guess you just have to keep like living through it to like figure out the answers to it. Thank you so much for sharing. I really liked your story and I
3: just feel like there's more coming. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you.
1: Thank you. you.
3: So that concludes our second episode of the season, Home is Where. We're all so excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about in creative nonfiction.
1: And remember, you can always find out more at lifeoutloudpodcast.com or you can search us at itunes or soundcloud by searching life out loud podcast
3: we'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible including our sound engineers and editors our episode writers our website developers everyone behind the scenes here at life out loud and to our audience we hope
2: you love these stories as much as we did it was a joy to bring them to you a very special thank you to everyone listening in we'll see you soon and good night